You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Now you know we let dogs into groups too, so if you have a dog that wants to sign up, I'm just kidding. Can you say a little guy? Okay. Well, we're glad that you're here with us today. If you visited yesterday for our trunk or treat, this first time with us on a Sunday morning, we are so glad you're here. Uh, last night at the event, I showed up. I love these events because I often get to be a dad. Everybody else is running around like crazy trying to fix everything, and I don't stress because they're running around like crazy trying to fix everything. I know the right people are on it. And so I was showed up with my family, and I ran into my assistant, Rachel Furman, in the hallway. If you saw her, she looked like a tiger. She had like the, the tiger face, the cat face, and the, yeah, she's like, this is so cool, like, You'll never catch me doing that. And um, I was out there and she said to me, Matt, you, you would never believe it. Like at 4 or 4.30, this place was packed. Literally, we are redesigning the flow of traffic to accommodate all the people in the rain outside, getting them in the building. And I was sitting there again going, so glad for the team. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit stro- spoke to me and struck me and said, aren't you glad I didn't answer your prayers? I mean, I've been sitting there praying all week, God, don't let it rain, don't let it rain. You can't have a trunk or treats inside the building. But about Tuesday, Wednesday this week, when it was obvious it was probably going to rain, we started making alternative plans and telling everybody we're changing it. And I am so proud of you guys. So many of you stepped up and figured out ways. Yes. Like, how do we rearrange this so our trunk isn't designed, but we're gonna have a spot and we're gonna come all dressed up and hand out candy. And man, real quick, if you work in the oral hygiene profession, would you just raise your hand? You're welcome. 90,000 pieces of candy given out. We expect a tithe on that. Anyway, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, 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 I'm joking. But we're so glad you're here and welcome to Kingsway. Just an amazing, amazing experience. We do this because we love our community. So uh, over the last, whatever, a couple months, we had a bunch of town hall meetings. So we got a lot going on around here. We want to answer your questions. We're going to do one more this year. It's coming up this coming Saturday from 9 to 1030 uh, in the A101, which is one of the new rooms we developed where you meet for the member classes, the core classes over there. If you want to show up, we'd love to just meet with you, talk to you, answer questions, and just kind of fill you in where we are. So 9 to 10 30 this coming Saturday. All right, here's the thing. I wrote a sermon this week, and as soon as I sent it, I said to the team, guys, I don't have peace with a sermon, but here's my outline. So if you have our app, or if you want to download our app, you can grab that in the app store, and you'll find I probably don't use it today. Even this morning, um, I, I, at the last service, I was just like, I don't know exactly what it is I'm supposed to say. There's something that's on my heart. And it's kind of in my outline, but it's not. I just can't seem to make peace with it. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray. I want to take us to the Lord. And I don't do this often, so if you're new here, this is not my norm. But there's something that I feel like the Lord wants to say to you, and I don't know exactly how he's going to say it. And so I'm asking for a lot of grace when you go home. This may not be the best sermon you've ever heard preached. In fact, I can almost guarantee it won't be. But there's something that the Lord has been putting in my heart, and i got to share it with you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are real. I know it, I believe it, I've seen it. You are active, you are alive, you are in this place. God, there are people right here and at home even watching online, they've gathered together because they just want to hear a word from you. They just want to hear you say something today. There's something going on in their life they're dealing with. So Father, my prayer right here right now is whatever it is that I had planned, whatever it is, God, I thought I needed to say, whatever it is, You want said, Father, we're here to surrender. We just need a word from you. Challenge us, encourage us, speak to us, and Father, we're here to receive it. Today, God, I pray that the lost would be found. 
I'm so thankful for those three baptisms, Father, people surrendering. God, right now, right here, draw more to yourself. But God, I pray right now for some whose faith is failing, it's struggling. God, may you come in like a storm and blow out the storms in their life and surround them with that beautiful eye, the center where there's peace. Father, right now we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this first question. Are you more successful today than one year ago? Now, how would you know? Some of you, you could, you could write it down, you know, you could look at your bank statement or whatever it is. You could look at your business account. You could look at the new job you just got. Are you more successful? Did you close more deals? Whatever it is. I've got this one friend, he owns a business, and business was booming, but it was booming for a reason, and now the company's right-sized, and so he's had to make some shifts to adjust. Is he less successful? I've got another friend who got in partnership with somebody who almost train-wrecked his whole business. He spent 18 to 24 months just trying to get out of that hardship, literally going to the people he owed money to and saying, I will pay you, be patient with me. He's now out of that and things are going well again. Is he more successful? How would he know? I've got another family. These are all people from Kingsway. Another family and friend I have here. When he got here, recently he'd gotten a new job. Everything was going great. Shortly after that, his family fell apart, going through some hard stuff. But over the last six months, has gone on a mission trip, has seen God move and stir in unique and powerful ways. Is he more successful? Because a year ago, he wouldn't have said that. So how do you know if you're more successful today than you were a year ago? And the answer, the simple answer, let me just help you, it's this. Do you look more like Jesus? That's it. Imagine if you put your ladder up against a wall and you get to the top of that ladder and you realize you put the ladder up against the wrong wall. That's this kind of analogy. Because what most of us are doing is working really, really hard every single day to climb some sort of ladder to get to some sort of place and then when we get to the end of it, you know what happens to all of us? Everything, everything we accumulated along the way gets left behind. All the houses, all the cars, the diplomas on the wall, the whatever it is, the reputation, even your name, it all gets left behind. And the only way to know whether I did anything good or successful in this life is to get to the end and find that I had Jesus. That's it. And I realize if you're visiting with us today, it's your first Sunday, like this is like an in-your-face message. I don't mean for it to offend you. I don't. I just want to show you a passage that is so popular in churches. Kingsway, we've used this passage so many times, but I think there's a piece of it. We get right to the conclusion and we miss it. Go with me for a moment. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them. The them is the disciples. At this point, Matthew, we are now finishing the book. He's died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he gathered those together that he had spent his life pouring into. He's at the end of his ladder. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't miss this. It's huge. Why? Well, next year, I promise, I'm gonna do a thing on the Trinity, okay? So today, I'm gonna give you like a a quick snippet of the Trinity. We sang about it in our last song today. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus' Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the three in one. But here's the way this looks. Jesus is God. 
He has always been God. But he is, in some unique way, the son of God. Not the son of God in the way that we think of sons, born and created. He's always been. It shows the relationship, the connectivity between the two. And God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. And the reason all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus is because Jesus was obedient even unto death. He literally did everything God ever asked of him to do, no matter how hard or how scary or how difficult. He was all in. It's the reason he's able to be our savior. And so when he says all authority in heaven and on earth, it means he's the king. More than the king, he's the king of kings. We don't really understand this because we have presidents and we vote for them and we give them terms so that when we're done with them, we can kick them out and bring in a new savior who then we'll get sick of and kick them out and bring in a new savior and get sick of them and we'll just jump back and forth. Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. Well, nothing seems to change much, does it? That's why everybody says, well, then I'm independent. And you haven't got one of your guys in yet, but I'm going to guess it's going to go, or girls, the same way. Because all authority in heaven and on earth doesn't rest in human powers. It rests in a power that is beyond what we can see or know or understand. This verse is the setup for the verse that churches talk about all the time. Because he has all the power and authority of heaven and earth. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, look at the next verse. Go. Because Jesus is king. Go. And do what? And make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is crucial for understanding why we exist. What are we about in the world? Because he's the king of heaven, he has said, go. Why are we going? Last week, as we wrapped up our services, if you missed last week, I get it, it was fall break, a lot of you were out of town. God did something I did not anticipate. Some of our staff who were even out of town were texting me like, man, I'm hearing crazy things about the service last week. Like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I just showed up and preached and like, God did something in the room. I, I like, how do we recreate that? I don't know that you can. We talked about prayer, the power of prayer, the, the reality of prayer, that prayer works, that Jesus believed prayer worked. Jesus lived as though prayer worked. I challenged people to pray and people started doing it. And like after the service, I started having these intense conversations with people. Don't worry, I'll protect your, your name. Nobody will know. One gentleman came up to me with profound anxiety. Probably if I were a, a therapist or clinician, if I were, you know, had some PhD before my name and I don't, I could diagnose this. But I would guess PTSD. Whatever traumas have occurred in their life have left this gentleman. And he's not a real tall or super big man, but he's a stocky man. And I gave him a hug and you could just tell, like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And I went right out of that into another conversation with somebody wrestling, struggling with the same thing. Except for this gentleman is a veteran. And I'm thanking God in my heart for him, but I'm watching the weights of the battles and the things that he's seen and done overseas and the impact that it's having on him. And he's clamoring for peace and he just can't find it. My heart is breaking. And I feel this weight to somehow explain to these men all authority on heaven and earth has been given. To Jesus. 
and he's trying to make something out of you. A disciple. Why? To put it simply, and we'll come back to this, but to put it simply, a disciple is somebody who's becoming more like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's somebody who says, I'm gonna go into the process of becoming like Jesus. And wherever it is you're starting, you are in that process. It is a journey. It is a lifelong journey. I wish I could tell you at 29 again years old and um, three little kids that I've arrived. I have not arrived. I could list for you a number of ways over the last week that I have failed to be as selfless as I should be, to be as present with my children as I should be, to be a better father, be a better husband. But I'm a whole lot better today than I was 20 years ago because by the grace of God, God is changing me. Go back to the verse for a minute. So therefore, go. Make disciples, teach the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and died in my place on a cross and he rose from the dead so that he could give me that life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of the baptism. It's a transitioning of death to life. It's a washing away of the old to bring about the new. And we do this in the name of the Father. And when we get to that sometimes, it messes with us because our dads were too big busy. Our dads weren't present. Our dads weren't good men. And so we think of God as a father. It starts to mess with us because now we think God is too busy or not present. Oh, no, no, no. He's an ever-present, active, living God. And he, oh, you can clap for him. Please don't clap for me. Yes. He loves you. You are dearly loved. You are precious to him. That's why he was willing to give up his son. So when you come to him, You're being transitioned into something. But listen, here's the thing. I don't know how to say this because I don't ever want anybody to think I'm judging you. I'm not. I just want you to be like Jesus. And me too. But you can't become like Jesus on a Sunday morning once a month. You can't. This is why we're not trying to make converts Converts go all in with Jesus one time. And then when it's convenient for their life and when things have maybe gotten hard enough, they need to reach out again, they show up. Jesus is trying to make disciples, people who are becoming more and more and more like him. And you know what? That takes an initial decision of a baptism, but it takes a whole lot more of follow-up, teaching, And yes, I'm going to show up as many times as I can, probably 45 to 50 a year. I'm going to be doing that. Somebody else will fill in on the others. But you need even more than that. You need men and women in your life who are in the junk with you, speaking truth into your life, calling some of you men out of your anger and into patience, calling some of you women perhaps out of nagging and into grace, and all of this being thrown together. You're like, why'd you have to pick those two, Pastor? Because I see them over and over and over again. And I'm so thankful that God has put other people in my life to speak the truth to me. Sometimes I get done with a sermon on Sunday and people come to me and say, I think, Pastor, you maybe shouldn't have said that. Or, and sometimes I repent publicly and sometimes I repent privately. 
I'm so thankful that God has given me the gift of others who love me enough to tell me what I need to hear. And you're not gonna find that on Sunday morning. You're only gonna find that in the life of the church. But here's the confidence that you get as a disciple. Right there. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, literally, I don't know, it's crazy. Like, if you're not one of us yet, I get it. You don't believe this yet. Don't start here. Just start at the resurrection. But we're told he steps up onto a cloud and rides it up into heaven. Like, I want a cloud elevator when it's my time to go, okay? But Jesus leaves them. Now they're anxious, like you, like me, like my friends I spoke to after our service last week. They're anxious. Why? Because he just sent us into the very world where it's sometimes painful and dark and terrible and evil and sickness happens and persecution happens and bad things happen. But he sent us out with his presence with us. He is with you. Not even just with you. He is in you. The power of the Holy Spirit here, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing about his plan. You need only to lean into him to discover what he has for you, to become more like Jesus. He's there to empower you, to give you the strength, to give you the patience, to give you the kindness that you need to become more like Jesus. What keeps us on the outside sometimes looking in? Fear. Maybe fear of not having what it takes or maybe fear of not being enough or maybe fear of not measuring up or maybe fear that you're gonna fail or maybe fear of not knowing what to do or maybe fear of groups or maybe fear of, I don't know. If I stop working, one gentleman was in the service, I think last service, I talked to him once. He's working crazy, crazy, crazy hours. He squeezes in just enough time to show up on Sunday morning. He doesn't have any time for anything else. He works 80 plus hour weeks. He's so afraid that God won't provide. I keep saying, brother, quit living your life by fear. Fear's your enemy. God is your friend. He promises to provide for you. You don't have to have a heart attack by 35 because you killed yourself. God is for you. He's with you. He's in you. Now, what is the purpose of the church? I mean, this is our marching orders, but what is the purpose? The word church literally isn't even a word in the Bible. The word church comes out of a German word called Kirka. And over time, it became Kerch. You can imagine, you can almost hear the Irish, the Scottish in there, Kerch, which later comes to England, and we, we just made everything church, you know? I don't know how I got there, to be honest, but that was the original word, kirka. The word church in the Bible is actually the word ekklesia. Ek meaning out from and to, and then kaleo means to call, or literally, the people called out from the world and to God. That is what we are. The scriptural teaching, and don't miss this, is that the world and its systems are set up against you. Because the world that we live in is actually being run by our enemy. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you see. Because the systems are set up against you. 
But God is setting up a new system called his kingdom, whereby those who love him are becoming more like him, and they're changing the world in the way that they live, and the way that they act, and the way that they think, and the way that they see. And together, we're a church. We're called out from this world for God, for his purposes, together to sharpen each other's lives. And all of this comes from this confident hope that we have in what Jesus has done for us in his name and in his blood. I want to show you a verse that we usually use in a marriage series, but I want to point out one specific thing. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul writes this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let's put the husband piece aside for a second. Wives, keep your elbows to yourselves. Let's just dig into the Jesus part for a second. So last week, after one of these services, I'm speaking to another lady, and she says something, I didn't write down the quote, but she says something to the effect of, um, I'm trying really hard to be better for Jesus so that one day I can make it into heaven. And I said, ma'am, no, 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 listen, you gotta go back and listen to my Galatians series, but listen, I gotta say this again, I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna say it again, I'm never gonna tire of saying it. We don't get to heaven because we try harder. Because I don't know about you, but I have exhausted myself trying to be good enough for God. And no matter how hard I try, I never seem to look exactly like Jesus. Praise be to God that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus already did the work. He gave up his own life to cleanse you. He gave up his own life to draw you to himself. He gave up his own life so that you could know you are precious and adored. He washed you with water. He did all of this because he loves you. If you ever wonder if you're good enough, stop it. Do not let the enemy lie to you anymore. You are dearly loved children of God. But he wants you for himself. And the whole battle is the battle for obedience. It's not that it doesn't matter what you do. It's that you don't do what you do for him to be good enough. You do what you do for him because you love him. And it's a game changer when you start living for his pleasure rather than for heaven. Because when you start to ask the question, how do I become like Jesus? you start to see the world differently. There's a guy, he's passed away now recently, um, but wrote some phenomenal books. His name is Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard said this, disciples of Jesus are those who are with him and learning to be like him. That is, they are learning to lead their life, their actual existence as he would lead their life if he were they. And I know that's kind of a confusing sentence, but it's so profound. Like, I want to read it again. They are learning to lead their life, their actual existence, as 
He would lead their life if he were they. This is what they are learning together in their local gatherings. And with those gatherings, a constant part of their life, they are learning how to walk with Jesus and learn from him in every aspect of their individual lives. What does it mean to be a parent who lives like Jesus to these children? What does it mean to to, to be a, a husband to my wife, a wife to my husband? What does it mean to be an employee in this profession? What does it mean to own this business? What does it mean to work in the public forum of government? What does it mean? How would Jesus live in this context? And it's not easy. It's messy and sometimes ugly and hard and it comes with bumps and bruises and mistakes and failures and oh you make oh you're worthless you fail sometimes idiot or at least that's what we hear from our enemy who every time you trip up whether intentionally or unintentionally you're a failure you're no good you blew it again. You're never gonna get this right. In fact, it's gonna be your fault when everything falls apart. And but see, a little parenting advice. A bad parent will let everything fall apart when you make a mistake. A good parent will come alongside you and say, now let's figure this out together. How do I know? Because that's what God keeps doing for me. What about you? Do you believe that God is for you? That he has changed your entire identity? That it's already set in heaven and then now he's calling you to just become like him? How do we become like him? Number one, we learn to see ourselves and the world the way that Jesus does. That's how we do that. We stop looking and evaluating people through the lens of the world. We start looking at evaluating the world through the lens of God. That's what that means. When I was a kid growing up, like I get it, like some of the whole PC movement thing, like people love to make fun of it. It's not all good necessarily. But I'm telling you, some of it is good, really good. When I was a kid growing up, man, we would make fun of things we didn't understand terribly, terribly. And I'm so thankful to God that he was gracious and patient with me while also growing me to have a bigger and better heart for the way that he sees the world and the way he sees things going on in people's lives. I no longer evaluate life through what I think or the news channel that I watch. No offense to those of you who work in the news. I now evaluate the world through the way that God sees the world. But the way that I learned that is by coming into his presence with his people and putting issues on the table and saying, God, what do you have for me? In today's day, for some reason, we don't believe in truth. Like, truth is subjective. One of the most common phrases I hear and read today, maybe you hear this, is you live your truth. As if you have a version and I have a version, and they may not agree with each other, but that's contradictory by nature. You can't have a truth and I have a truth that contradict each other. Only one of us can be right by definition. And it's not because I'm old and stodgy. I am old. It's because it only makes sense. That's why Paul writes to this young preacher, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3, and he says this, although I hope to see you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. Actually, it's the word ecclesia, again, of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. 
What Paul is trying to say to Timothy is, Timothy, be confident in your teaching. God is living. He's not dead. He's not deistic. He didn't set the world in motion and disengage. He's very actively engaged among his people. God says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. So pick a seat. He's sitting in one of them, or all of them. He's God. He's here with us, and the church is to be the foundation of the truth, the place where I can come and see myself for who I really am, to know what God really says about me so that I can shift and adjust my life to become more like him. This is why Paul goes on later in the book, the next chapter, and he says, Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Your what? Not your arrival, your progress. You're becoming more and more and more like Jesus as you go. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's not enough to just be right in the head, to have the truth. You must also live the truth. You cannot know that God is God and be a complete jerk about it. You must know that God is God, King of kings and Lord of lords, in love like he loved. When he says, go and love one another as I have loved you. It is radical and it is hard and it is self-sacrificing. But oh, is it good. Oh, is it good. And I want you to see it and I want you to know it. The second thing we could do to become more like Jesus, by learning to live in a manner that is similar to Jesus. It means no longer looking at my life through my own lens. It means now surrendering my life to him and saying, whatever God you have for me, that's what I want. And Paul makes this point in Colossians chapter three. He says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul's laying a foundation for everything he's about to say. Don't live everyday life considering only yourself. Look out for everybody else. Set your hope on heaven. One day I'm gonna take my last breath. One day I'm gonna come to the end of it all. One day I'm gonna get to the top of this ladder. There's gonna be no more steps left. What do I do then? And he's saying, think about that day today and live today as if that day were here. You're standing before your heavenly father and it's that last day, accountability day, and God says, so what'd you do with what I gave you? And you say, here I am, I became Jesus on earth. So then he goes on. He looks at verse four. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is actually idolatry. And again, what Paul's trying to say is, don't live like everybody else lives. Why? Verse six, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let's talk about wrath for a minute. I mentioned it last week. God is not an angry God. For the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about suffering in the world because the number one question I get from everybody at some point or another is, is God good? And I feel like we need some handles on that. So we're gonna talk about evil and suffering. Where does it come from? And when bad things happen, like babies die and cancer comes or marriages fall apart or children rebel, is God making all this happen because of his wrath? And the answer is no. God wouldn't even have wrath if it weren't for our sin. 
God's wrath comes out of his hatred for evil, not for you. He loves you. God is love. That is the root of God. But as the world rebelled and evil increased on the earth, God hated the evil. And his solution was to bring justice through Jesus. This is why Paul says, because of these things, God's judgment is still coming against the evil. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. What Paul's trying to say is, don't think or live like the world anymore. God transformed you by his love through the blood of Jesus. Be transformed. Be what he made you to be. And then he says in verse 9, so do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with those practices and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then he goes on in verse 11. Because here, there's no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in and the point of what Paul is trying to get to is when we look at others, stop judging them by their color of skin. Stop judging them by their gender. Stop judging them by uh, how they dress or what kind of house they live in. Instead, look at Jesus Christ as in you, made in the image of God and renewed by Jesus Christ and love one another. This is why he closes Colossians 3.12 verse Colossians 3, verse 12, therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let me ask you a question. Are you more successful today than you were a year ago? Is there something in your life that is distracting you from becoming successful? Because the only way that I know to become successful in this life is to become more and more and more like Jesus, which means becoming more and more and more and more like love. How are you doing? Because I wanna close by making two very specific asks of you today. Don't miss these, okay? Number one, some of you are struggling hard with the attacks of your enemy, Satan. He hates you. He is bringing all kinds of trouble and, and struggle into your life. He's trying to mess things up because he wants you to stay focused on your pain instead of on your savior. And the only way to start to turn this thing around is to surrender to Jesus. And don't get me wrong, it's gonna take time for you to learn to obey all that God has commanded you. It's gonna take time to even learn a new way to do life. You're not gonna get all that on day one, but you gotta get to day one. 
It's gotta begin with an initial first decision where you say, I'm not playing games anymore. I'm going to see a victory because in the name of Jesus, I'm going to win. And today, if you're ready to make that decision, when the rest of us are taking communion, you find somebody wearing a connect shirt and you say, I don't even know what I need to do next. I just know that I need Jesus. Help. You just walk up to him. You don't even know what to say. Help. That's it. That's all you say. Help. Find somebody wearing a connect shirt. We will help you. Now, the second group in here, maybe Jesus has been your Lord for a long time. But honestly, you've gotten lazy in your faith. I don't say lazy to hurt or offend. I say lazy because God's just not a priority right now. Would you make today the day that changes? Would you make today the day that that stops? If something else is calling you away from him, do not go even one more day without stopping and coming to him. This is what we call repentance. And you just come back to him and you say, God, help. I believe it's in the book of Acts, and I think it's Peter who says, the repentance leads to times of refreshing. Maybe if you can't find peace, it's because you aren't surrendered. Do not go one more minute. Take this time while the rest of us are taking the bread and the juice of communion and celebrating that we are dearly loved children of God. You take this time and fall on your face before him and say, God, today is the day I'm gonna stop doing these things. God, today is the day I'm making a new commitment to you. God, today is the day I'm gonna go back to when I was a teenager, back into my 20s, back when I gave you my life the first time and I wanna become the man, the woman that I always committed to you that I would be. Here I am, Lord, take me. And as you do that, May you find the restoration that you need. The rest of us, take communion. Use the black boxes for your offering and pray for your brothers and sisters in this room who God is stirring in their hearts. Let's pray. Oh God, I feel this burden, Father, for this place. Father, that there are men and women in this room right now or even watching at home online and and though they hear these words, they're gonna fall on deaf ears and hard hearts and that nothing may change. Oh God, I pray that you would silence the enemy and his voices. I pray for any idols in our lives that are rising up to take hold and saying, no, you can't survive without me. God, that your voice would rise up above. That the cross would stand as the center of our lives. God, I pray right now that you would come and set people free. Free from fear that's paralyzing them. Free from sin that is enslaving them. Free from uh, anxiety, Father. I pray, God, that you would show up and stir in this place. I pray for those who aren't even sure everything there is to know about you, but they just believe you're calling them to you, that, God, you would stir in them. Get them out of their seat, asking questions and surrendering their lives to you. God, do this right now in our lives, in our hearts. Make us the called out ones that you envisioned us being, that we would become more and more and more like you. And God, thank you for your grace. Father, I need to pray right now for my brother or my sister in this room who's feeling overwhelmed by the fact that they don't feel like they're good enough. They don't feel like they measure up. May you free them from that, Father, and show them that they are dearly loved children. You love them so much you gave up your one and only son, Jesus, that they would know how precious they are. May they see it today and receive it today. God, I pray that you would take this message and do with it as you please. 
the name of Jesus, all God's people pray.